Welcome everybody to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week, it is my pleasure to welcome back my good friend, Stephanie Malia Kraus. We had her on the uh, on the podcast about two years ago uh, to talk about her first book, uh, Making It. And today actually marks the release of her second book, which is called Whole Child, Whole Life. I am incredibly excited for this, um, basically because... Uh, she focuses on 10 ways to help kids live, learn, and thrive. And if you don't remember Stephanie or you've never met Stephanie before or never heard of her before, she's one of the most sincere, thoughtful people you'll ever come across. And so I'm blessed to consider her a friend, but I'm also just inspired to be around her as an educator and as a leader. And so the conversation we dive in today is the three parts of the book, which is first is the portrait of a whole child. So we dive into understanding what the demographics are, the brain and body, um, you know, the age and stage, as well as a few other areas to really understand who a kid is and HD, as we discuss. Uh, then we dive into some of the whole life practices. Again, there are 10 whole life practices, anywhere from uh, meeting basic needs to, you know, act with a hundred year mindset to be a force for good, uh, seek awe and wonder. I mean, there's just there's so much richness, um, again, because Stephanie's a very deep thinker and someone who really has been passionate about solving these problems for a long time. And so we dive into a couple of these practices and then ultimately we end with what she calls aim for wholeness. And so what does it look like to have uh, a whole child who is safe and supported, learning and growing, living with joy and purpose, rooted and connected and healthy and healing. I are healthy and helping, sorry. Um, I. I don't know, I, I, as you can tell, I'm a little bit speechless just because I'm excited that just in two years, she's had an opportunity to put out two books. Um, I met Stephanie, I don't know, 15, you know, it could be almost 20 years ago uh, when she was in graduate school um, at, and at Washington University for uh, Brown School of Social Work. And she was just such a thoughtful person then and an inspiring person then. And her and her husband are just two of the most sincere, thoughtful, hardest working, uh, most committed, dedicated people I know. And so uh, hopefully you you feel that from Stephanie. She's um, She just wears her heart on her sleeve and is great at communicating her passion around this subject. And her thoughts are just, I think, second to none. So I think I, I, I enjoyed the conversation. It's not just because she's my friend. I feel blessed that she is my friend, but she is um, just someone who is trying to help all of us get better at loving kids, serving kids, and helping kids find their path in the world. And so, um, as always, thank you for your support, your subscriber, thanks for subscribing. But most importantly, uh, as you listen to uh, this podcast, I'd encourage you, one, to go pick up Stephanie's book immediately, and two, to pass along this podcast if you think it can help anybody in your life, whether the educator or not. So um, hope you enjoy as much to me as you can tell I'm excited. So I'm gonna let you listen to the interview. Thanks. Stephanie, I am so excited to have you back. Thank you for making time to be here with us today. Dustin, I am so excited to be here and be in conversation with you. Yeah, it's and it's not often, well, I love all of our guests, not often I get to have a friend on. And I still, as we were talking earlier, remember you coming into my office when I was Teacher America Executive Director, young, having no clue which way was up, and you came in with all the passion and gusto in the world. And uh, I'm just not surprised that you've not only written one book, but two books, because from the moment I met you, I can I, I remember the exact time we talked, we hung out, where you shared your life story with me, 
you are someone who makes a lasting impact on people. And so I'm just so excited to be a part of your story now. And of course, we are older and wiser and uh, five kids deep into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, uh, anyways, I'm just way excited to have you. And I'm super excited to talk about your latest project. So um, first question that we ask everybody, I'm just curious how you answer it now. So I'm going to keep repeating it for everybody is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? I love that question. I am Stephanie Malia Krause, and I'm excited to go back to my last episode to see how I answered this question. Yep. I think that um, my heart and spirit ring first as a mom, um, that that is the space where I identify most strongly. Um, I am also a wife and a sister and a daughter, um, but being mom is my favorite role. I have training in education and youth development, higher education and workforce development. And my entire career and work life has really revolved around some core questions that have driven me into different jobs. And those questions are, what do our kids need to be ready? What do our kids need to be well? And what do they need to thrive? Um, and so that has led me to be a teacher and a social worker and a coach and a counselor um, and to work, I say, from the schoolhouse to the White House. So also working across practice and policy and even in philanthropy. Yeah, I think, again, the the part that I want to keep hitting on is people are listening, trying to figure out who you are. If they didn't listen to your first podcast, they need to. If they haven't read your first, first book, making it, they need to. But this passion has been, so long as I've known you for 15 years, this passion has been upfront and very clear about what you're about and what you're going after. And I think it comes back from actually, you know, I'm not going to say it. How long has this, this been a passion of yours and what part of your personal journey led to this? Because I do think it's very deep seated in such an inspirational way. It's really interesting when I'm asked to go and talk to students who are in college or young professionals, I always try to ask them, what is the cause or question that you can follow across a working life rather than a specific job or career. Um, and for me, the whole experience, my lived experience and professional experience sort of cast what that cause was going to be and what those questions were going to be. And so at first, when I grew up, I had a strong hand in helping to take care of my brothers. Um, my parents divorced early. I was as helpful as I could be. And we also had a series of actions as kids. My older brother dropped out. I dropped out where I was asking the question, what do I need to be ready? Ready to transition into adulthood without a high school degree, ready to transition into life on my own. I was living away from home beginning at 15 and permanently starting at 16. But there was also the question of what do I need to be well? I got sober when I was 15 and needed support and care from some of the experiences in my childhood. I think that personal asking lasted for a little bit of time until I entered the classroom as a teacher. And then I was always, every single morning, asking what do these kids need to be ready and well? And can I, as a classroom teacher, set up the conditions where they have permission to just be kids and to thrive, but can I also give them whatever they need? Um, and ultimately, I could give them a lot, 
but there was so much I didn't know. And I recognized that so much about their outside life and the community connections and the family needs being in. Um, I never got it as a teacher. And so that question then actually took me out of the classroom and put me into social work school where I now needed to ask, what do families and communities need in order for their kids to be ready and well and to thrive? And then when you and I met, I had been asked to start this school for young people who weren't ready and who weren't well and who weren't thriving in the classroom, who were over age and undercredited and not in school and not working. And that really gave me an in living color every day, what it looks like when adults and the spaces and places where kids spend time don't provide kids what they need to thrive. Um, and so I've, I've been after that question ever since. That's awesome. So I, I don't, you and I are both, uh, why we get along so well is that we, when we ask questions, we give, and we mean it, and we give very sincere thought out answers. And so I do want to spend a little bit of time on your first book, but I want to spend most of our time on your newest one. So last time we had you, we talked, we dove deep into making it, which is about the four currencies that today's kids need to make it tomorrow's world. Um, I'm curious, it's been what, two years or so since we talked about this project. What have you learned or what what impact have you seen that book make on the communities you've been involved with? So first off, I don't know if you remember this, but you had COVID when we talked last time, but you didn't know it yet. You were just starting to feel so sick. And so I say that so listeners understand that my first book, Making It, was about what kids need to be ready for a changing world and future. Um, So the whole title, Making It What Today's Kids Need for Tomorrow's World. But it came out in the middle of the pandemic at the height. And so here we're 2021, right? You and I are meeting to have a conversation and um, I'm having to do a pandemic book tour um, and meeting with teachers and counselors and coaches from all over the country. And a couple of things happened to, to answer your question specifically. The first was that people were finally grappling for the first time in big ways with the realities of how living and learning are interconnected and intertwined. When our households became homeschools and schools shut down, I think we were all confronted with just how interlocked those things are and content in my book that I didn't think educators and schools and other people would necessarily craft onto, like the importance of cash, the importance of social relationships, easy to understand in a COVID context. But the other thing that happened was um, I had written a book about the future. And so as I was having these conversations, almost every single time I would talk to a group, someone would say, I really appreciate you telling me what our kids need to be ready for the future. And I am afraid that my children are going to give up or burn out before they get to the future, right? Before they get there. And so um, that is when the idea for Whole Child, Whole Life started to form because folks understood that I was a social worker. I was connected with people who are some of the leading scholars and 
pandemics and change makers in child and youth well-being and youth mental health. Um, and back to these questions that have been the arc of my life, I was really sitting as a mom at home myself, looking at my own children, at their own struggles in the pandemic, with these realities that if young people are ready, but they're not well, that they can't thrive. So what we were just talking about, these kind of three questions, I actually realized were an equation that the the question of my life is not, what do kids need to be ready? What do they need to be well? What do they need to thrive? That the equation is actually in order to thrive, kids have to be both ready and well. And, um, and so I knew it was time to write the companion book to making it. Yeah. So you would say, when you call this the companion book, so again, the book, for those, everybody should know by now, the intro, but whole child, whole life, 10 ways to help kids live, learn, and thrive. You think this, you look at this as the companion book of your first book, how so? Like, what, what's the unique aspect that makes this different? Other, I mean, some content, but what, what makes this really different? So um, my family, the boys, they love Marvel movies and I love reading series. So to clarify my own comment, I would say these are standalone books. You don't have to read Making It in order to read Whole Child, Whole Life. But in my mind, as a parent and as somebody who has worked in education and youth development and written about child and youth well-being for years now, almost 20 years I've been working on this, for me, they go hand in hand. You have to know what young people need to be ready in a world that is unfair and unjust, but that doesn't give you the roadmap for what they need to be their whole selves and to enjoy life. And so for me, the sort of through line here is what is the roadmap that adults who care for kids need in order to come alongside these kids and help them build lives and futures they love? I mean, one of the things that I think about when we talked about making it was how do we get adults who are focused on college and career readiness to shift to what young people need for long and livable lives? And I think this book is about how do they get lives that they love, right? Because it might be long and they might make it through, but my mom heart, I want them to love the life that they're living, even as things are complicated and hard. Yeah. So let's dive. I mean, I love the fact in, in this book, I really appreciate one you out, you know, you worked partner with a really cool illustrator. So I thought that was a neat thing to add into it. So, uh, what's the, what's the person's name again? So I, we can honor them. Yes. Manuel Herrera. And he lives in the St. Louis community. Um, he was a special education teacher and was an administrator is a dad of two. So he's in the trenches, like so many of us working with and raising kids, but he moonlights as this unbelievable author. And I have to tell you, Dustin, and for all of you listening. So I found him not by way of like education circles or looking for an illustrator. He had this um, sticker and drawing of this bear called Taco Bear with just in his belly is a taco. I fell in love with Taco Bear and I saw Taco Bear and I said, what's this the guy I need to illustrate my book? And then when I found out that he... Um, that he also taught and was a dad, it was like clear cell. But one of the cool things about working with Manuel 
is we actually took the framework for the book, which I know we'll talk about here um, in a bit, and we developed these characters based on the actual framework. So we went through the, the process of developing these characters. And so each character sort of creates a picture of just how different and unique kids are and actually grows across the book um, and then drives home the, the big concepts in the book. So the illustrations are actually, I learned that the illustration term for this is sketch notes. Um, that they're actually conceptual aids for us and they're also pretty beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And I think, again, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys took three different type of kids because as you can see behind me, I've got three kids. And as I, again, you're, as we talked earlier, your kids are a couple years ahead of mine, but like seeing how different Luke's personality is from Noah and just anticipating James's personality being so different thinking, oh man, like that's cool. But how do you differentiate parenting? Like I, I for some reason I felt like differentiating teaching was a, uh, a little bit easier, but with parenting it just seems way more complex. Um, I don't know if I have the patience or I don't know what it is. I, I've not figured it out yet, and so I just appreciate having a guide of like, all right, there's going to be different people. They're going to look different, feel different, and they're going to need different things. And so, um, can we just start with you know, the first? I don't know if you call it step. Um, probably get that word wrong, but let's dive into the first part of the uh, framework, which is the portrait of the whole child. Tell me why this is important and break down like what is unique about it? Yeah. So like, yeah, we got to know who the child is, but like what's different or what's deeper about the way you've approached it? So I wanted to set up the first part of the book by providing the kind of landscape of information on what do we need to know about all of the things that inform and impact how kids learn, how they develop, how they grow, what makes them who they are, how they experience the world and how the world experiences them. And, and my decision was to write it in a sequence to say, sometimes we can have a simplistic view of kids and we profile them in ways that can be harmful. That can be if we're officially working with kids. So as a teacher, as a coach, as a counselor, it can also be our own kids based on how they look, based on how they're dressed, based on what's going on in their life. Um, it can be with our friend or our children's friends or for volunteer coaches. If you, I'm sure you'll end up being a volunteer basketball coach if you're not already, right? Like right. the little kids on your team and what their parents or whoever dropped them off looks like, all of those pieces. But what I wanted to make clear is that is not the whole of who a child is. And whenever children, whether they are our own, our neighbors, our kids' friends, or the kids that we're working with are with us, they are in our care. And so this whole book, including this first part, is really about the science and art of how we take care of children. And so many of us don't get the information and training we need on that. So this whole child piece builds from what are the rudimentary profiles we sometimes draw crudely based on how a kid looks, where they live, who they live with, how they present. How does that have an outsized impact on how they experience the world and the world experiences them? And then what are the steps we can take to 
fill out and color in the bigger context of who they are. So the first part of it I mentioned are these profiles. So it's where does a kid live? What do they look like? Um, what are their demographics and determinants? So who are the people in their lives? What's their life like? And what does that mean for how hard or easy life is going to be? What does that mean for the resources and opportunities that they have? Yep. If you're a parent, you might end up with a child who struggles in ways different from you. They may look different from you. They may be born with a disability or a difference. And you have a responsibility to get to learn what is that going to mean for how the world treats them and how they're going to experience the world. The second part is around development. So this is just for listeners understanding that age and stage can be very different. And that in the same way, when we go to the pediatrician's office and they give us the growth charts of height and weight and BMI and say like, oh, your kids live, you know, I have one child who has been the 99th percentile justice since the day he was born. And Harrison is like rocks the 30th percentile. I think what's so important is in that is their growth trajectories are just different. And they're going to arrive at different places at different points. And I wish one of the things I explore in that chapter is how would it look like if we had growth charts? for our kids socially and emotionally and cognitively to understand what milestones they've hit and what is cause for concern for them and when do we need to push in supports and services? And yeah. when is it okay? Um, we found post-pandemic, so remember I wrote this book, The Idea Formed in 2021, when you had COVID, we're talking middle of the pandemic. Um, and so I'm writing it with this lens toward who are our children now based on the experiences that they've had the last few years? And what we're finding is that kids are growing up slow and fast. Um, the experience of being in the pandemic aged them. And yet, developmentally, it didn't like stage them, but it, it actually, something slowed down. Um, the third part is around health. There's some cross-training that any adult who works with kids needs to have about basic health and what happens when kids are sick? What happens when there's a nutritional imbalance? How do you identify when a, when behavior changes? And it might actually be the culprit could be physical, that they need a medication change or a vitamin rather than discipline and punishment. Um, the next part is around who are all the people in this child's life? Do I know the people in, for example, my own child's life and the impact that that has on who they are and how they're feeling and what's going on and what resources they have available to them? And then the last piece is what you just said about your voice, which is strengths and struggles. And what I would say is, you know, we walk from these creek profiles of how the world sees a child to how the child sees the child and how who they are in the most intimate space of themselves. And what I reflect on in that chapter is you might know what my kid looks like, who they live with, how they live. You might know where they are developmentally, if they have health issues, the people in their life. 
but to know who my child is, the whole of who he is, is to know the moment he walks in the door, if something is wrong or something is really right, to know the difference between which of my kids is introverted and which is extroverted, which one loves sports so much and which one would rather be playing with Lego and coding. Um, And those are the pieces that bring this, as you mentioned, this portrait into high definition. We color in and suddenly we see the kid's whole world Um, and what a separate space that is. Well, I think, so I love that you use the word, like we got to see our kids in high high def, but you know, I I just, I live really close to uh, Luca Noah's school. And so occasionally I'll take a call and I'll walk the park. So there's like literally houses like one street and there's a park and then there's their school and so uh occasionally i'll walk over there and i'll just walk around and yesterday they just happened to be like the third graders just happened to be coming to the park leaving their school to the park with the teachers to play and as i get i've been grappling with your book like i i started thinking about well how does my son see himself like i think about it often but now he's with all his friends. He doesn't really know I'm there because like, it's not like I, I'm not supposed to be there, right? So I'm just happened to be walking by. And I was just thinking like, how can I find out how he sees himself, how he acts so I can help him go through his own identity versus trying to make him into what I am trying to make him into. And so I don't know if you have any tips for that, but that's something that uh, hit me as I was processing everything. Yeah, so I think I would anchor all of this conversation in rather than seeing this as a set of prescriptive steps or a program to try this is a framework for the art and science the alchemy like a little bit magic a little bit of mystery and how we raise these little humans these beings and so i would say with luke one of the things i hear there that is so powerful is like as a dad recognizing that even though you brought this human into being, that he is his own being in the world, and that you have a responsibility to reflect and inquire and come in with a posture, curiosity, and intent to continuously get to know him as he evolves. I think the other thing for folks to know who are listening or watching is that I intentionally wrote this book for anyone who cares for kids because I want any adult who has any part in raising my kids to be able to read this and for it to apply. Case in point, this past Saturday, I was able to go to the Y camp that my kids have gone to every summer that's full of young camp counselors, a couple who are still in high school, most of them who are in college, who are younger than we were when we first met. Most do not have children of their own, but to implore them that my children are going to be growing up in their care, that we can't stop the growing up from happening in the hours that they're in camp and like contain it to the couple of hours at night after I pick them up. Like it's just going to happen. And so the cross training is not only and my cross train in development and health and character and mm-hmm. social work, but are all of the adults who interact with my kid or interact with Luke, are they also cross-trained in what they need to be thinking about 
and that posture of curiosity in inquiring who Luke is or who Justice and Harrison are. How do you like, so when I hear you talk, I mean, that's awesome that you're working with, um, you know, the counselors at uh, a camp as well as teachers anywhere else you're, you're working. Uh, you know, sometimes right now I feel like, like we talked earlier about how people feel overwhelmed, the kids, adults, everybody. And so when I think about, wow, I really want to understand my kid, it can be overwhelming thinking, oh man, well, you've opened my eyes to a bunch of different angles to think about and grow. How do you help, you know, those counselors or people you work with keep this from being overwhelming and keep it in this state of excitement? Because for me, we're probably very similar people in this way. Like I, I am excited to geek out in all these angles. And I love the fact that I love that you called it an art and science. Uh, there's a company in St. Louis that that's their tagline that I used to uh, work with. And so like the art and science of learning, they talked about our motivation or whatever. And so there's no one answer. And I feel like that comes across in your advice for everybody, but how do you keep people from being overwhelmed by how do I get to really know kids and do I really know them? So I would answer that in a couple of ways. And I think the last part will be a great segue to talking about the whole life practices because um, big reveal, what is good for kids is often good for us. So there's a consolidation that gets to happen. But the first part is, to just name and appreciate that like working with and raising kids is overwhelming and that we do have so many questions that come up that we don't have the answers and information for. And so one part of the book was actually packing in the like most frequently needed information on child and youth development and mental health and healthcare and the science of learning and development so that there could be an easy to read guidebook that people could keep turning back to. So the book itself covers everything from here are red flags to look for that might present mental health challenges to different types of therapy to a chart of developmental milestones to a chart of like how much sleep does a teen need versus a tween or a child. So a part of it is like, recognizing the overwhelm is real, especially raising kids right now and trying to be of service and attend to that. I think the second is recognizing that like this is a process and that if we were selling a product, I don't know if this is going to end up being the right metaphor or I'm going to completely botch it. But if I was like selling a product or fixing something our lawnmower is broken right now i would have a responsibility to get to know that device or that product it's a part of my job and so i also think that there's a responsibility while it's overwhelming of like oh god these kids in my care that's my job whether by choice or because somebody else chose it for us or it's our paid job or unpaid like a part of our job is learning about who these kids in our care are and what they need. And then the third part is these whole life practices, which is we don't have to get everything right. But when we see kids struggling or experiencing challenge, we need to kind of have a framework or a set of questions that we think to ask. And so one big part of this is not like, 
how do you commit everything in this book to memory? But a success for me would be if Luke has behavior that is incredibly different one day than it was the week before, does his teacher think to ask why and consider the complexity of that question? Could could there be a medication change? Could there be a medical change? Could something have happened at home or in a relationship before just acting? And so I'm looking for sort of the principles of the work and just these pause points of like, oh, we have enough information to know what we don't know um, and to go look for that. Yeah, I, I, I do think um, as an educator, especially, but even as like in, in my work, a, a check-in I had earlier today, we were talking about how how much more effective we can be as we get to know each other more deeply and understand our idiosyncrasies to be able to have trust, but also know that like, you know, this person just gets excited real quickly and they'll get over it and they'll get back in the game. And so uh, I just, like I said, I, I feel like this first part is, I don't want to skip over it. I always spend a lot of time on it, but like really trying to understand people and constantly go back and redefine uh, who they are and letting them uh, kind of set their course is key. And that leads to the second part, which you started launching into. And I know there are 10 practices, but we don't have you know enough time to go through all of them. But what what are one or two, uh, introduce life practices, but also focus on one or two, just to give an example to the audience. Yeah. So we'll try to go first and rapid round question now that we've, we've set context. So there are these, um, what I, the second part of like whole life practices is goes back to the heart of why I wrote this book, which is times are so challenging right now and life is so uncertain. And what I was really after in this book is what are the things that young people need in their life that buffer and protect them from certain problems arising in the first place. So a level of preventing problems from happening, support them in their struggles, and also create the conditions that are problem-free, like that are places where they can enjoy life and really thrive. And this bigger question was, is it possible for kids to thrive even when times are tough? Is it possible to create moments and experiences and environments where they thrive even when there is a pandemic, even when there is loss, even when there is violence, even when there's a risk of school shootings or risks of other things that are awful to talk about, but the real lived experience of our kids? And the wonderful answer is yes, actually, when we look throughout history, and across disciplines and contexts, there are these particular practices, 10, that continue to come up every single time, where in the research and in conversation, it's clear that these things matter than more than anything else. And they are things like nurturing healthy relationships, building community and belonging, seeking awe and wonder, so a level of spiritual development, um, meeting basic needs, which for kids includes things like play and downtime, which I thought was really powerful to like name. I know that we have had conversations about spiritual development over the years, and so this was an interesting one to take on because I knew that I would be 
speaking to a really diverse audience. When you write a book, it goes out and lives its own life. But what I found the research that I could not skip when it talks about the well-being and thriving of young people is that unequivocally, there is a body of science that says children are born with an innate spirituality. It's in their wiring. And it asks the question of, am I a part of something bigger? Is there more out there? And it becomes more profoundly important as they enter into tween years and teen years. There's also this natural awe and wonder of when they see something beautiful or a puppy or a baseball game where everyone is cheering, where that bigness they're exposed to. What we know is that for adults, that's highly protected, feeling like you're a part of something bigger, there's something big out there, connection to it. So the idea is that if we can just nurture that in kids by providing experiences that kind of grow it and keep it alive, um, that we create this strong connection to the world as a wonderful place, even when there's brokenness and pain and all those pieces, and that idea of like, I'm connected to something bigger, there's bigger purpose, that pays out dividends for the rest of their life. So um, that was one really cool thing to learn. I think another really powerful thing to know um, is that we often, and I know you often in your conversations talk about relationships. And I just want to name that nurturing healthy relationships is a whole chapter. And then the next one, building community and belonging also has to deal with relationships. But there is nothing more profoundly important in any body of science, whether you're looking at science learning and development or longevity or health, then powerful, positive relationships. And we often let them happen haphazardly, but we can put more structure and priority around them. And when there aren't healthy relationships or a child feels lonely or isolated, after walking through this book, I would say it's a full stop for me. Like if my boys were struggling in deep ways relationally, everything in life would stop for me. And that would become the absolute number one priority to try and figure out. That's fascinating. Uh, why Why is that for you? Like, I, I feel like, or what would that look like, I guess? Uh, I mean, our kids are a similar age. So what would it look like if you noticed that like that was happening? How, how would you try to address that? So when we think about relationships, there are different kinds. In the book, I explore kind of four different kinds of relationships that we as adults need to pay attention to. One is the child's relationship with themselves. The other is a child's relationship with me. Uh, the third one is a child's relationship with their peers, right? So other people. Um, and then the last one is my relationship with the other people who are in relationship with that child. And so the first thing would be to try and figure out where where is the issue happening? And then what is behind it? So I think about um, you know, I was a fifth grade teacher, so I constantly alliterate. So I think about supports, services, and skills. 
as a way to kind of figure out where to push in. So is my child having difficulty because they they just don't know what to do? Is this actually about teaching them relationship skills, whether through coaching or do they need some like occupational therapy or counseling or some kind of level of assistance? So that might rise to the level of needing services. Um, have they just hit a really difficult, tricky spot? And how do I provide support? Is this an issue where they need a level of advocacy or assistance from me as the adult um, and actually need me to step in on their behalf to provide some level of assistance? So I think it really is about inventorying the root causes of where the relationship is, where relationships are struggling and breaking down, and then deciding what is my role in that. Am I am I a coach? Am I a facilitator? Am I an advocate? Um, no. Right? Those pieces. You've got to have a level of established trust and open communication. I make it clear all of the time um, that these are conversations that are always open in our house. Uh, and and that those cues communicate in really powerful ways what can be brought up and what can't be brought up. Yep. That's great. I, again, I, I think, I know we only touched on uh, two of the 10, but I feel like um, people get a feel for who you are and how you think and how to engage with you of, it's not about having all the answers. It's about unpacking experiences and truths that you're going through at that time. So I, I appreciate it. So let's, let, I know we're, our time's coming to an end. So uh, let's go to the last part before we go to rapid fire questions. And all of this is aiming for wholeness of a child, right? So tell me about what that's about. Yeah. So before we make the shift from whole life practices into wholeness, I'll say two other quick things. The first is the reason I thought about whole life is thinking about the wide and the long of kids' lives. So what are the things that they need wherever they spend time? And where? what are the practices that are actually going to support them all across their life? I think in education and other spaces, we talk about lifelong learning, but this is about lifelong thriving practices. Um, and so there are, for folks who are looking at whole childhood life as an actual resource to use individually or with groups, there are tips and tools and like very practical reflection questions and activities that uh, follow across the whole life practices. This last part, wholeness, as you mentioned, was really geared at how do we know when kids are thriving? What does that even look like? How do we know, for me, thriving is wholeness, that they're able to bring the whole of themselves into a space, that they are their most full, vibrant, high-definition stuff. I think yep. the first piece is just what I learned that changed my perspective on what it means to thrive. I used to think of it kind of like a traffic light of like red, yellow, green. Red is I'm only surviving. And I'm like for a season or a week or whatever, all the way to green. And so you're trying to push a kid all the way over. And I think what I actually learned is it looks more like if you've seen an EKG um, where the, the line goes up and down and up and down. And in the course of a day, a young person might 
always thrive in Mr. Odom's classroom because of the conditions that are set up there. The lights are on this sort of fullness wheel. All those practices happen, but they don't thrive in the classroom next door. And so for us, it's about how do we create as many experiences in a day, in a week, in a month, in a school, in a home where the lights are on for as many of those practices as possible. So how do you know what's happening? So I, I talk about these kind of five conditions of wholeness. And so um, the first is, I'll just go through the five if I can remember them. So safe and supported, um, rooted and connected, healthy and healing, uh, living with joy and purpose, and learning and growing. So it's this idea of like these live little creatures who are in our care feel like they are safe, feel like they are they are anchored, that they belong in the place where they are, have that opportunity to be healthy, but that's an active practice because we're always, it's almost more like fitness is a way to think about it. Um, and that kids are kids when they're learning and buzzing and sparkly. Um, and so the last parts, living with joy and purpose and learning and growing, is really like we feel the aliveness from them. They know they're safe. They know they belong. They know that we've got them if they're struggling and that they're going to be well taken care of. But they're also alive and vibrant and growing. Um, I use a metaphor at the end of the book around ferns and that we're kind of the, the cultivators of the garden that they could make it without without us. It would be very difficult and unlikely, but man, will they flourish all the more with a gardener's care and attention. Yes. So I, I, mean, I love when I get to the end of, for me, again, this is just a personal bias is that, you know, I read the Purpose Driven Life when I was in college and it gave me that same question for you of like, what is my life about? And so that's what that's dictated every stop along the way for 20 years. Um, living with joy and purpose is so important to me for each of these kids and living it for their own, figuring out their own way versus me and like giving it to them. Like I want to guide them, right? But telling them what it is, uh, that's the part that I'm most excited about is letting them figure it out on their own with my, you know, shaping, like the, the gardener, right? Which I really appreciate. Um, obviously I'm connecting you, uh, with my amazing bride after this to talk about working with her and her schools as you're thinking who you are working with already, or who you'd like to work with. What, tell us how, how to get involved with you or how, uh, you and your team work with schools or districts or organizations. So the book is written to support individuals who are working with and raising kids. You can read it on your own. We are also opening up a Facebook group this summer, so summer of 2023, so that you can come in and be a part of community. Um, to plug into that and pre-order the book, you can just go to wholechildwholelife.com backslash pre-order if you're listening to this before May 30th, um, or just wholechildwholelife.com and it, it will get you to be able to buy the book. But this book is also designed for groups, for book clubs and book studies at the school level, at the camp level, at the church level, any group of people um, who are collectively working with kids and want to prioritize well-being, mental health, 
support um, and take this on together. So we're creating a separate group discussion guide that will be available in June that's free. There are tools on wholechildbelight.com. And then, of course, those questions and practices are already in it. And bulk buys with our publisher, Corwin, come at a discounted price. So again, if you go to wholechildfullife.com, um, you can get more information and you can also submit a form where we can help you make that bulk buy if you want to then talk about speaking or consulting to go along with it. Um, that's something that we can provide to you. So I've not done this in my two years since we... I'm so inspired just by you, Steph. I mean, I've known you long enough to know like how how um, how much integrity you have and how much passion you have for trying to make an impact, especially when it comes to supporting kids and helping their futures. Um, so I skipped the the rapid fire because I didn't want to go fast through our conversation. But one question before I let you go that I do want to know. Uh, is what's your walk-up song since we were talking about the St. Louis Cardinals game. Uh, for those of you listening, I went last night and we won 18 to one. Uh, Stephanie and her family tried to stay home. And so uh, I'm curious, what would your walk-up song be right now? I think you and Justice have something that you want to share. So yeah, we weren't at home. We missed the Cardinals game because I was watching my kid pitch um, oh. his own baseball game and his walk-up song, which we chose together is stronger by Kanye West. And it just talks about how tough situations make you stronger and faster. Um, and for him, it really is this rally cry of like, he knows that he has gone through struggles, which I write and talk about in the book, um, but that he's an incredible kid. And so it's love of the game. Um, and it is also remembering who he is and where he comes from, even when he's out on the plate playing. And he did great last night i mean he's a small guy right so it's probably tough for him to be a dominant athlete huh no he is the 99th percent no, i know i know that's my point i was that sorry and no one else knows about the sarcasm uh and can know that he has just been a giant since he's been born and so <laughs> i just assume we're gonna be reading about him in the post dispatch uh sometime soon it's only a matter of time I should say, last word, he wrote the preface of the book because any book about children should begin with the voice of a child. So if you want to learn more about justice, pick up the book and read his totally powerful words that set the stage for the rest. Well, Steph, uh, thank you for bringing your whole heart, your whole mind uh, here. This is awesome. I enjoy talking to you and I'm very, very excited to see where this goes. I think having this framework uh, so clearly laid out out and the way you articulate and the way you dive into helping people process as a uh, as a gift that I wish I had and I'm just excited to see where this is going to take you. Thanks, Dustin. All right, have a great day. You too. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.